On this week's episode, we preview Gamescom. Disney makes a final decision on James Gunn. And which is more fun to watch right now, WWE or NXT? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the show each and every time we air a new episode. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He is the man in red right now for Humanica Media. You gotta listen to everything that they're producing right now on HumanicaMedia.com. Also as well, Humanica Media on YouTube. Facebook, check them out there. And of course, their great show, Topicocalypse. It's my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? Friday, Friday. Friday, Friday. Yeah, just uh, sitting on the computer, just doing Friday stuff, ready for Friday to be over and the weekend to start. And uh, ready to talk some pop culture, of course. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to be having a great show here today. We've got Rob McCallum standing by in the Cosmic Crossfire. He's going to be talking more about the James Gunn situation. It looks to be more of a finality because he recently had a meeting with execs from Disney. And I guess an ultimate decision has been made in regards to the future of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. So he's going to discuss more on that. Greg Hall from We Podcast and We Know Things. You got to check out their show today on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more outlets. He and I are going to be previewing WWE SummerSlam, but also NXT TakeOver as the WWE takes over the, the New York area once again for this weekend's SummerSlam events. But we're also going to focus a lot on NXT and the rivalry between Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa and so much more when it concerns NXT and also the WWE as well. What matches to look for this weekend when it comes to SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver. And also Josh and I are going to return later in the show to talk about Disney and Fox. There's been rumors about that Fox properties that we hold dear to our heart, including Die Hard, Alien, Predators, and all that are going to be swept under the rug once the sale is complete and everything's done. All the I's have been dotted, the T's have been crossed. We're going to share our thoughts on if Disney should just put those beloved franchises in the corner for good, or if they should go ahead and continue the process of keeping those profitable and, for the most part, very good franchises alive for some time to come. Josh, it's going to be a great weekend at the movies, I know, as well, with two movies that have hit theaters with Mile 22 and also, as well, Crazy Rich Asians. That movie right there, Crazy Rich Asians is garnered a lot of press in the past few days. I think it's got like a 96 or 97 rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And it looks like it's getting off to a strong start and could be really a film worth looking out for for the rest of this year. 
Yeah, I mean, I've heard good things about it. I actually had no idea it was based on a book, but I think the title is what kind of gives it a lot of cred with people. Just Oh, that... you mean ABC with Fresh Off the Boat? Right, right, right. And so, like, you know, these titles are clearly ways to market things. You're going to actually, you're going to look into it because you're gonna be like, oh, that's offensive. And then you look into it and you're like, oh, I, that actually looks kind of good. Or, you know, you're you're going to go watch it be, because you're like, oh, I like that name. Like, it's just, it's it's funny how much marketing can be done just with the name of something and how much that pulls people into it. Well, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk more about it on the Monday episode because there's some strong themes that I want to talk about and comparisons that a lot of people are making to Black Panther and other movies because this is one of the first movies to come out with a Asian-dominated cast in regards to something that's being marketed worldwide since the Joy Luck Club that came out many, many years ago. And we're not talking about as far as something that's targeted to just a specific audience overseas or martial arts film or anything like that. This is something entirely different from a romantic comedy type perspective. And it's something really unique. I've seen the trailers. It looks really good and something I want to see, but we will talk more about it and also give you the results of how well it performed over the weekend on our Monday show as well. But right now we want to focus on things coming this weekend as well besides the great movies that are coming out like Mile 22 and Crazy Rich Asians. First off is Gamescom. I know we're going to talk about SummerSlam with Greg Hall later on in the episode, but Gamescom is coming this weekend to Cologne, Germany. Once again, it's a 10th straight year. It's going to be in Cologne, Germany. Almost 400,000 people go ahead to this convention. It's one of the largest conventions in the world. As far as gaming is concerned, it is the largest convention because E3 is just now starting to bring out more and more people and allow more and more of the public to get in there, but it's nowhere near what this one does. It is the largest gaming convention of the year and a big spotlight for many European publishers, distributors, and also development houses. From what I'm seeing, you and I are getting a ton of email and notices in regards to all the different entities are going to be there. But one entity that's not going to be there is Microsoft. Microsoft in past years has done an Xbox press conference there on many, many years back to back to back. They're deciding to skip this year. First off, what does that tell you when Microsoft is missing and skipping out on such a big event? Yes, they're going to have a booth there and whatnot. That's beside the point. But what does that tell you when they're not doing a press conference at Gamescom this year? No, that's interesting because, you know, we had discussed this back when you were in town and we're doing the 100th episode of PCC that Microsoft is actually in dual development on two different consoles. So I imagine that they kind of have their hands busy and at this point, if they plan on putting the, any of these new consoles out in 2020, I don't imagine that they would want to be making any announcements. Maybe, I mean, I could understand them being there showing off some hardware, but I don't think it represents anything dire happening behind the scenes. I just think that maybe they're devoting their resources to other things right now. Well, that also tells me that they don't have a lot in the near future to promote because falls right around the corner. Also as well, winter, you know, it's a big time for sales when it comes to video games. And Microsoft is a little bit behind as far as from a first party perspective. Pretty much the conference would be focusing in on the positives of what they have in the current situation would be the Xbox One X high resolution platform 
but also as well the Xbox Game Pass, which is a very good deal still at this point in time. So it also tells me that Xbox well, is at Gamescom though, right? Because I've been seeing foot, them showing new footage of Forza. Yeah, they're as far as the booth is concerned, but they're not doing a press conference. Oh, got it. Okay, all right. Yeah, that's what I was talking about because they've done in the past they've done press conferences like they do E3 press conferences at Gamescom. So they're not doing that this year. So I think it sticks out like a sore thumb. Why aren't they doing that? And I think that's pretty much because of the fact that they don't have as much to showcase at this point in time that's new and upcoming in the near future. Well, they gave everything away at E3, though. I mean, they is what over a hundred games. I want to say they talked about, and like you know, I I don't know what the point would be of showing those games again. Maybe they're a little bit further into development. But let me ask you this: Gamescom, like you have things like Gamescom packs, and I know like some people do press conferences at these gaming gatherings. But E3 is really the standard right now for making big announcements, making a splash into the video game world. And while Gamescom is cool, I always uh, looked at Gamescom as a way to let the smaller developers, the lesser known developers, kind of get their name out there. So I never really thought that Microsoft or Sony or Nintendo really needed to have a big presence there, have a booth there. But don't you know, they don't need to be like the, the titans of industry that they are at Gamescom as much as they do at something like E3. Well, EA Electronic Arts has always made a big presence at Gamescom obviously focusing on their FIFA properties and they've been a major part of the Gamescom experience. They've had press conferences year over year in the past as well. They have made another big move in regards to showcasing Battlefield 5 with a Battlefield 5 trailer in advance of Gamescom. What are your thoughts on Battlefield 5 so far when it comes to what they're shooting for and the fact that they continually take shots at what direction Call of Duty is making at this point in time? Well, see, I've always liked with Battlefield is that what you see is what you're going to get. There's nothing no like nothing hidden there. They've always been very forward about what they're trying to do. Whereas Call of Duty has kind of lost its identity over the years and kind of gone for the future, the futuristic aspects or like the alternate timeline aspects. But Battlefield has always been like, and I love the way that they're saying, hey, you know, you guys already know, you played the last Battlefield, you know that our multiplayer is going to be awesome, but let me show you the single player. And that is something that Call of Duty players, the chances are high, they're never going to get again. So I think Call of Duty kind of took themselves out of the market in that as- aspect. And I don't know, man. Like I've, I'm super impressed with what I've seen with Battlefield because not only are they appealing to the need for female protagonists, these uh, emotional stories featuring strong female leads like we saw at E3, they're also giving us an in-depth multiplayer that, sorry, I said multiplayer, single player that feels satisfying to play as well as a multiplayer that is not, you know, there's no gimmicks. Call of Duty is full of gimmicks, but Battlefield has always been you know, you just do your thing, you play, and you, there's no like nothing future. You don't have jetpacks, you don't have any of that stuff. You're just out there playing, and you can play with your buddies, and it's super accessible. Whereas Call of Duty, you almost have to go in it with a prior knowledge of the franchise and of what they're trying to do. And by the time you get into it, the match is already so unevenly laid out that it's almost impossible to play. So where do, where do you stand on that? For many years now, I have preferred Battlefield over what Call of Duty has been doing over the course of several, several years 
The zombie factor kind of intrigued me when it first came out, but after that, it just seems like Call of Duty was just putting out something year after year after year that just seemed like a retread of what they did the year before. Nothing interesting, nothing inspiring. Although I kind of like the fact that they were going to the future. That aspect for me worked well, but unfortunately for gamers, it did not work well at all. And that's why they reverted back to previous time periods. I'm still a big fan of Modern Warfare. Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare was awesome experience for me. I still like my shooters in a modern format from time to time as well. I hope that at some point in time, they all revert back to a modern format. I know going into a World War One and now World War II scenario, it's something that harkens back to where these series originated from. I appreciate that and enjoy it every now and then, but I'd like to see them go back into a modern setting. But I, I understand there was too many modern shooters, which was the reason why that they left those time periods in the first place. I am just still a big fan of the Battlefield series. As I told you before we went on the air, I still remember one of my favorite trailers to this day. And one of these days we got to talk about our favorite game trailers because anybody who's out there that doesn't recognize Battlefield 3 and the Caspian Border gameplay and that trailer alone just sold me and hooked me into Battlefield 3. That and the other trailer that had the whole building uh, you know, coming down and all that, I miss those experiences and I miss those as part of the battlefield type scenario. So hopefully it will go back to that at some point in time, but it still looks like it's going to be a really solid experience with a campaign that they are still spending a inordinate amount of time on. And that to me is really pleasing as a fan that they still want to have a story that communicates, even though most of the people will be heading straight for the multiplayer option. Yeah, you, I mean, you know me. I'm not a huge multiplayer fan, but I always like Battlefield. I've always respected what they do. There, you know, like I mentioned, there's no gimmicks like Call of Duty, and the game just feels a lot more accessible to me. Like I'm not a big, I'm not a big uh, like multiplayer person, but I can jump in there and I can still have a good time. Whereas with Call of Duty, I jump in there, I'm getting, I just get super frustrated. Don't even want to play it anymore. So, from that aspect, I've always liked Battlefield a lot better. What about, uh, where do you stand on Medal of Honor? We have not seen a Medal of Honor game in a really long time. Medal of Honor was something that I liked the original iterations of the series. I actually played through them and enjoyed them. And the narrative behind them were, were really strong. But this was one where it went to a modern setting. And unfortunately, it just didn't connect with audiences. It was hyped. It was packaged. It was advertised, but unfortunately, it did not connect with audiences when it came into a modern setting. Plus the fact that you cannot have Medal of Honor and Battlefield and give both the equal kind of love that they both deserve. So it was easy to see that Battlefield was the one that was that they were interested in and they were more willing to go ahead and give more time to, which put Medal of Honor to the wayside. And unfortunately... For fans of that series, it doesn't look like we're going to get anything anytime in the near future from the Medal of Honor series because, in fact, we also have the Star Wars Battlefront series alternating in years with the Battlefield series. Yeah, true. I don't think it's I don't think it's a series that's going to be missed. They did have some memorable games. I, I did enjoy Medal Medal of Honor Airborne when that came out. That was a very difficult game, but it's fun to play and satisfying. Real quick, I just remembered when we were talking about conferences. Bethesda is another one that like they just had QuakeCon, so showing up at Gamescom would be kind of 
counterintuitive because it's just there's so many conferences happening so close to each other. And there's even rumors that E3 might not have big conferences soon enough. So I don't know. I, I get it. I get why these big companies want to put resources towards other things, especially when you hear about like all the, the closures of the smaller studios under their umbrellas and all that. And also the fact that Nintendo Directs have done in the past, this year notwithstanding, the Nintendo Directs in the past have proven to be something that's that's been a good hit for them. But I hope that the press conferences will continue because I like the pomp. I like the circumstances. I like the big crowds. I like virtually all of the major players showing off their wares in such a large, vaunted format that makes the whole E3 experience seem really special that makes the video game marketplace seem really special. I understand that there are costs involved, but I, I really like the fact when they do it, it just makes the gaming experience that much more valuable, and it shows to the fans that you actually care about the stuff that you're actually producing and that you wanted to succeed at a higher level than what you would do if you just wanted to show a YouTube trailer and whatnot. So. I really am hopeful that the press conferences will continue in whatever platform. I know we'll probably see one at the PlayStation Experience by Sony, and that's great. But for right now, Gamescom is still going to go strong. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of the European distributors, publishers, and development houses that don't go to E3. What are they going to show off there at Gamescom? Because there's going to be a lot to see and a lot to cover I know our Game Source Facebook site will be covering a lot of these aspects at Gamescom. If there's anything good, we're going to be sharing it right there on the Game Source Facebook site. So follow that if you can. And it just looks like overall, people seem to love and enjoy the Gamescom experience because for almost 400,000 people, man, for a gaming convention, that is truly a remarkable thing. And 10, 15 years ago, we didn't think this would be happening when E3 was just the big conference in, in town and and there was nothing else really to supplant that outside of maybe the Tokyo Game Show and whatnot. But so many years later, there's conferences all over the place. And I know sometimes we complain that it becomes muddled and becomes a little bit repetitive and whatnot, but it's just so good for us gamers to have all these different options to see all these different companies show off their wares to a larger public. So... To me, the more conferences, the better. And I think it really works out well in the long run for the gamer as well. How much of that, like the attendance, like especially like E3s going up, how much of that do you think has to do with all these smaller news outlets and podcasts popping up? Because, you know, I was listening to, um, they call him the Reverend, Doki Doki is his thing. He was saying, talking on his YouTube channel, and he was saying that, Right now, it's nearly impossible to get into the gaming industry because you have to know someone. You have to have someone who's willing to give you a chance. But the funny thing is, the gaming industry has never been more accessible than it is now. Whether or not you want to get big, though, that's a whole other thing in itself. And it seems like you would need to have somebody push you out into the, the spotlight a little bit more. That to me is no different than any other major industry as far as trying to move up. You can have a lot of talent, but it really does help you if you know the right people and have the right connections. I was in the film industry and I understood very early on from what I saw and what I observed that if you know the right people, 
no matter what, you could go a lot of places and get a lot of chances within the industry. Same thing goes for my years here in Vegas when it comes to the strip hotels and things of that nature. If you know the right people, it can go a long way for you as well. So the game industry at this point in time should be just the same way. And like you said, with smaller developers, it really, anybody can go ahead and produce the game. I mean, you and I right now can go ahead and commit two years of our life to do it and make a pop culture cosmos game that might get some eyes on it, might get some sales and whatnot. But if we tried to say, hey, we would have too many playable characters. Yes, this is probably true. This is probably true. If we knocked on the door of Bethesda or Rockstar or any other major publisher or developer that's out there, they'd probably laugh in our face unless we really had something that would sell in a major form. So I hear you on that. It It is still a, a tough ride in the game industry, but there are still options and availability there for, for a lot of people if they go ahead and put the work in, just like we try to put the work in here when it comes to Humanica Media and the Pop Culture Cosmos. And so it's going to be a great weekend at Gamescom. Like I said, almost 400,000 people will be all storming into the areas that are there. I I know, Josh, you and I probably want to go one of these days and and cover Gamescom. That would be an awesome thing to do indeed. But for right now, Germany is slammed with a whole bunch of gamers and gaming enthusiasts, almost 400,000 wide because It is truly a great time to be a gamer right now, and especially because Gamescom is going to showcase a lot of games that you may not normally have caught. And what it will do is maybe put a lot of more games on your gaming radar for the fall and and going forward. So it's a good chance to keep an eye out on what's going on at Gamescom because there could be a lot of games that might meet your fancy down the road. What are your thoughts on Gamescom as a whole? Are you a big fan of following what's up to date? Do you think it's on a par with Tokyo Game Show, E3, and all the other big shows out there? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanity Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like I said, we've got a great show coming up for you today. We've got Rob McCallum coming up in the Cosmic Crossfire right after this. And also as well, we've got Greg Hall from We Podcast and We Know Things, previewing SummerSlam and also the NXT TakeOver in New York. And coming up later in the show, Josh and I will be talking about the Fox properties now owned by Disney and where they're headed next. This is a PCC Multiverse. Mm, nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, head on over to www.wheeliq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. PCC Multiverse listeners, act now and get 15% off your order today just by entering the promo code POD2. That's P-O-D and the number 2 at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com. And we're back with another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. Well, it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend, 
he is the man among men for Rob McCallum Films because it is robmccallumfilms.com. All of his projects, all of his films, everything that he's working on, he shares it all. robmccallumfilms.com, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, and so much more is my good friend. It is Mr. Rob McCallum. What's going on, man? The man among men in the place where he does his things called Rob McCallum Films. First of all, I don't know that there's a whole bunch of men standing around in the nexus of the internet space known as Rob McCallum Films. I just, that was quite the intro. You just kind of weaved your way through a whole bunch of alliteration and boy, you set up something I don't know if we can deliver on in this episode. Well, we'll certainly give it our best shot. And I'll tell you what, it's just great having you back here, man. Just I know you've been very busy with all the projects that you're doing, and I just appreciate you taking time, to, as always, to talk to us. But we're here to talk about everything that's going on in pop culture. And pray tell, Rob, what's going on in your world when it comes to pop culture? Despite a private meeting with Alan Horn, James Gunn is not coming back to helm Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Of course, there's been a lot of uh, outcry from different uh, stars in the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise and other people on social media. We had talked about this once or twice. What are your initial thoughts on this? And Did you actually read the tweets that he sent out 10 years ago? You know what? I did in a way because, yes, I did see the tweets when they were reposted onto articles that I was informing the consumer and the mass audiences about. I was investigating and looking at those tweets from those articles. But no, I did not go back into James Gunn's history and actually look at all the tweets involved because you only, it only takes a couple from, like I said, those, those articles to understand why Disney was so upset with them. It goes back to the question, should they have given him a second chance? I think it was far enough in the rearview mirror that, you know, like, like we had talked about with the pitcher from the Milwaukee Brewers, I think with there, there should have been an allowance there and, and they should have brought him back into the fold after making sure that he's gone through the correct probationary period or something of that nature where he would get instructions on trying not to repeat these same mistakes from the past. But that's just me. And I know a lot of other people feel that, that he should have been brought back as well. The stars of the movie themselves have had quite an issue with him not coming back. Dave Bautista says, if they're not even going to use a script from James Gunn, then, hey, don't call him. He doesn't want to be a part of it. It looks like right now things are really in a state of flux with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And it just, like I said, it all comes down to the initial mistakes and the initial things said by James Gunn in those tweets. Really just truly in poor taste. And unfortunately, you you pay for it when you consistently do those things and, and say those things, no matter how long of a buffer it is. We've seen with Roseanne Barr and her comments, which were more recent, that a lot of people out there in the world are not forgiving. And Disney's got an image to uphold, although you and I talked about the John Lasser issue. At to what point is that image being held up? And I just think right now when it comes down to it, they should have given another chance. But unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. Yeah, you know, I, I started looking into it after we talked last time about this topic. And, and I read the tweets, and I think they're pretty deplorable. And uh, Well, they're not only pretty deplorable. They are deplorable. There, there is no excuse for them at all. They're they're quite horrific and they're really detrimental. And I don't say that just as a father of two. I say that as like a human being. I don't know that I want to see art from somebody like this that's thought about that in that way. And until there's some sort of evidence that they have turned the corner and they have changed. Like 
you know, a second chance, sure, but under what grounds do you get that second chance? How do I know that you still don't think this way and just don't post about it? Like what kind of rehab has taken place or what kind of steps are you going to take to move forward to make sure that this doesn't happen? And that's something, that's something I wanted to reiterate that that would have had to have taken place before he would have been brought back. If something yeah. like that has been taken, you just can't have him come back with open arms and say, hey, everything's all right, hunky-dory, kumbaya. There has to be, like you said, some rehabilitation in place before something like that would have happened. I was hoping he would get a second chance after some type of rehabilitation and proof that he was actually just a better person at this point in time, like he claims to be. Any last thoughts on the way out, my friend? No, just uh, as we get into the, the fall, it's going to be a busy time for myself as i got a lot of stuff coming on my plate, but we will do our best to keep the crossfire firing. Crossfire. Crossfire. That is correct. It is the Cosmic Crossfire. If you have any questions for Rob that I can bring up to him at any point in time, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, Game Source. And Rob McCallum Films on Facebook and at Rob McZob on Twitter as well. Well, Rob, as always, it's been great talking to you, my friend. I know you're a busy man with all that stuff you've got going on, but it's just great to have you a part of the Cosmic Crossfire. And, of course, right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And we're back with the show. Once again, it's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here. Well, this weekend comes another big date for pro wrestling. It is the annual SummerSlam presented to you by World Wrestling Entertainment. It is something that is now what a time-honored tradition for many, many years now. And who better to break down this year's card than someone who has appeared on the podcast before and was very appreciated by us for coming back on so quickly and such short notice. He is one of the hosts of We Podcast and We Know Things. You can catch their awesome show today on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a gazillion other outlets. It is my good friend, Mr. Greg Hall, and also ESO Network now as well. Yeah, ESO Network, Greg Hall. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. Shout out to Mike and Mike at the ESO Network for helping us out, get on the network. Exactly. I think I like your show, like my show. I think I need like a, you know, just like a laundry list of all the the different radio stations and also podcast networks and podcast affiliates and podcast outlets and software apps that you can actually get our shows. So it's it's incredible that the amount of access that our shows, both of our shows get each and every week. Yeah, it's up over 30 now for us. So we're excited. Oh my gosh. Same here as well. I, I lost track and I lost count <laughs> once, once I hit in the, the mid 20s. So it's incredible indeed. But it is, again, we podcast and we know things. You got to catch their show today covering everything on pop culture. It's truly, truly an incredible listen each and every time out. But we are here to talk a truly special event every year. It's, I consider it one of the big four. I'm sure most people do as well. It's one of the big four pay-per-views 
see, I'm still using that word. Pay-per-views. I'm, I'm always going to use it. I'm always going to use pay-per-view. Well, Have they to. still technically do. They it, do it, it, yeah. It's still technically a pay-per-view for yeah. the WWE. It all comes to fruition as far as the Barclays Center this weekend. And it all starts with the headlining match. Universal Championship is on the line with Brock Lesnar defending against Roman Reigns. The Women's Championship is Alexa Bliss against Ronda Rousey. AJ Styles defends the SmackDown WWE Championship against Samoa Joe. Daniel Bryan versus The Miz in a long-running feud, that which I'm sure will continue well after, but mm-hmm. we won't go there on that one just yet, mind you. Yeah, right. The SmackDown Women's Championship is Carmella defending against Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. Intercontinental Championship with Dolph Ziggler defending against Seth Rollins. Shinsuke Nakamura defends the U.S. Championship against Jeff Hardy. Braun Strowman versus Kevin Owens. Finn Balor versus Baron Corbin. The SmackDown Tag Team Championships are on the line with the Bludgeon Brothers against the New Day. Cruiserweight Championship, Cedric Alexander against Drew Gulak. Rusev and Lana versus Andre Cien Almas and Zelina Vega in a mixed tag match. And the Raw Tag Team Championships are on the line with the B team defending against the Revival. Are you all set for another eight hours of uh, pro <laughs> wrestling watching, my friend? Because we, these days, that's what it is when you watch it on the WWE Network. Yeah, we have the two-hour pre-show that'll involve a couple matches. A Baker's dozen on the card, 13 in total as you rounded all of them down. And, you know, it's crazy because the 13 matches for SummerSlam might not be as good as the five that are going to be for TakeOver. That's my shameless NXT TakeOver plug. It's the best shows of the year, the TakeOver shows. But for some reason, I just have either a a love-hate relationship with this card. I either love the match and can't wait, or I just don't care. There's, There's no match that really just sits in the middle for me. So I'm excited to dive into it very much so. And I think the match that the hardcore wrestling fans pretty much want to see is no i'm sorry it's not Brock lesnar versus roman reigns again (laughs) yeah it is actually the miz versus daniel bryan because of the behind the scenes actual real animosity the duo have held towards each other over the course of the past 10 almost 15 years now so i ask you greg your thoughts on this match first and foremost because like i said this is going to be something that kind of blurs the lines now they're going to be professional when they go out there but behind the scenes you and i both know that there's always something going on between those two whether they're taking shots at each other both in public and off stage as well what i like about what the miz and daniel bryan have done throughout this feud they did a nice job last night on smackdown kind of recapping it over the last eight to ten years all the animosity is kind of built up you don't know if it's a work or if it's a shoot promo whenever they go at each other. And you have to think it's just a little bit of both. Like even with Roman Reigns and Lesnar, you can tell Roman's a little serious when he's saying what he's saying. So I like that they're bringing that reality aspect into this feud. What I don't like about this match is to me, even though we've had eight years, 10 years of buildup, it still feels a little rushed because When Daniel Bryan came back, they put him right up against Big Cass. He had two underwhelming matches. Then they put him up with Team Hell No for two weeks to kind of transition into this whole Miz thing. And this Miz thing's been going on less than a month. 
And, you know, as an organization, what you kind of got to realize is there are fans that don't remember eight, 10 years ago. There are fans that don't remember two years ago when he shot on them on Talking Smack that made Daniel Bryan walk off the set. There are people that didn't watch then or that were casual viewers. So a video package five days before SummerSlam might not be enough to hype it up. But from a pure wrestling match standpoint, this has all the potential in the world to be match of the night. I agree with you on that because The Miz has improved considerably inside the ring over the past few years from where he was and now is catching up almost to his on-mic persona, his charisma, and everything else that he brings to the table to make him a better, well-rounded performer. I agree with you on that. And with Daniel Bryan leading the way as one of the all-time greatest as far as in the past I guess, well, actually this century, you could probably put him yeah. in your top 10 as yeah. far as the century is concerned. Definitely is going to make for, I think, a, a match of the night as well. But like I inferred earlier, I think this is just the kickoff and you're going to be seeing grudge match after grudge match with these two. Hopefully not ad nauseum, but hopefully leading to something down the road. Maybe at WrestleMania, like a cage match per se, where it will be a final blow off match for both. Yeah, and I was talking to somebody else who had said that, well, Daniel Bryan's on kind of borrowed time here because of his injury history. My counter to that was everybody is. I mean, everybody's one head injury away from becoming the next Daniel Bryan. So I don't know if WWE is being cautious, and that's why we're getting a match between these two so soon. I would have loved to see maybe a little bit more build, but I get it. SummerSlam is the place to to kind of boost this into the stratosphere, if you will. I'm thinking it's going to be taken to the Rumble. I can totally see one of them carrying a belt into the Rumble because Miz and Mrs. just got renewed for season two already. So the Miz is, like you said, his in-ring work catching up to his persona, the A-lister as as he's referred to. He is one of the best heels, if not the best heel in the company. He's a, what, seven or eight-time Intercontinental Champion. Shinsuke being the United States champion, I can see maybe Daniel going for that onto the side after he's done with Hardy, picking up the U.S. title, and now they have something to feud over, going into the Rumble. So I can see something like that. But to me, I'm with you 100%. This is a long feud that's going to take us through to 2019. I agree with you on that. And maybe even up to SummerSlam this time next year, but I think there will be some major cage blow-off or some some type of of real on-the-line battle where the hatred and the animosity those two have for each other will finally come to a head at some point in time, whether it's true, real life still or not. But I think there's still a little bit of animosity behind the scenes with those two. At least they give the impression that that's the case. And the way they needle each other on social media and on television still alludes to the fact that maybe this kind of bleeds over into a real-life scenario. Mm -hmm. But there are some other great matches that... Well, and some not so great matches that you indicated that I clearly see as well, which is the way that's been going for the WWE for quite some time now, where there's some feast or famine when it comes to their cards are concerned. Which matches are you targeting? Which matches do you really think are going to gonna actually entertain audiences and not just have them go for the refrigerator? So the reason I think that the takeovers are so impactful is because they're two hours, maybe 220. There's like five matches tops and they all have implication. A 13 match card with two or three on a two hour pre-show. It's, it just doesn't, it doesn't connect for me. 
The matches I'm not necessarily looking forward to that much. Finn Balor and Baron Corbin has been a completely forgettable feud outside of a dollhouse. That was the only gag I got out of it. I think Andrade Cianalmas and Rusev both deserve better than the pre-show. I wish that they were on the main card, but I okay, fine. The pre-show's on Facebook, so technically it actually can get more viewers than the network, so I can see the upside of being on the pre-show. Talked about Miz and Daniel Bryan. I would say the... Cruiserweight championship match is something to stay, stay far, far away from. It's just forgettable to me. I like Drew Gulak as a fellow Philadelphian. I appreciate him and I want him to pick up the W, but do you watch 205 Live? Occasionally, but as someone who thinks of fondly the cruiserweight division in WCW in the mid-90s, it is just so hard to watch the 205 these days because of the fact that the, the talent there does not have anything really to present to the audience out there that really is entertaining or interesting. I'm a big fan of Ricochet. I, I, really think, I do. I love him. Yeah. I think he's one of the best talents in the WWE. Why he's still in NXT, I still don't know. Don't give me this. They have to learn. They have to learn. AJ Styles didn't have to learn a thing. He popped out on WWE right away. Don't give me this proving ground or anything of that nature to learn the quote-unquote WWE style. He's worked around the world for so long now that he would be a star anywhere you go. And I think being on the NXT card, yes, he's going to be wrestling for a title on the NXT card. That's great. But I really think he is being underserved in the WWE at this point in time. And could he be the key to livening up the 205? I think he could be. But the way they utilize individuals there that have any kind of promise leads me to more of a pessimistic attitude. And I apologize for that uh, up in front. But I'm a big fan of Ricochet. I'm excited to see him at NXT TakeOver. And I think down the line, they're going to have to do something to reformat the 205 Live concept to make it more enjoyable. Well, let's think about it this way. 205 Live, it's an hour. It's after SmackDown. It's actually competing up against Miz and Mrs. right now. They're out on at 10 o'clock each, same time slot. It's that new exciting show versus the, yeah, I'll catch it on demand later for 205 Live. NXT is so overstocked with talent that you could bring up, effectively, Ciampa, Gargano, Ricochet, and Dream and put them all in 205 Live. Give it a complete breath of fresh air. There's your new kind of flagship network show. Then you have NXT UK coming next year, or maybe even later this year. I forget. So now you have three different network shows, all with incredible talent from all over the world. And then you have your two main brands. It's five shows. It could literally take you every single week. 205 Live could stand to air on Thursdays. So now we have wrestling four nights a week. But I'm with you. Ricochet is one of the best talents I've ever seen. It's hard for me to pick a winner for him versus Adam Cole because they're both just so incredible. That's why I'm happy we're not doing predictions for TakeOver because we'd be here for hours. Um, The Cruiserweight match on SummerSlam just doesn't do it for me. The Bludgeon Brothers and New Day don't do it for me either. But the last match that I don't think is going to be worth our time and investment, uh, ROI, return on investment, would be Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. I think, personally, Brock Lesnar is the worst thing that ever happened to the WWE. He is the reason I stopped watching it in 2003 for 10 years. Came back in 2013, have been a fan since. But I had 10 years there where I didn't watch specifically because I didn't want to look at Brock Lesnar. And I don't want to look at him now. He's a boring, no-show, part-time champion, and he's going against somebody that WWE's been pushing down our throats for four years. 
I just don't see the appeal in that match. I don't either. And whether or not he goes to UFC doesn't really matter to me at this point in time because I don't think at his age he would actually fare well in the UFC. Seeing him in the WWE, he's the only one really at this point in time with star power because their leveling of the playing field and the way they go ahead and position their wrestlers at this point in time is is a cause and effect, I believe. And, and there are individuals out there with, with promise like Braun Strowman, Shinsuke Nakamura. I mean, there's about three or four others, Finn Balor, that all had signs that they could have broken out and become a major player in the industry. But the cause and effect of, well, you got to win one, you got to lose one, you got to win one, you got to lose one has caused a lot of situations where you do not have that star individual for a pro wrestler that's out there that WWE can market and market boldly like they have with The Rock, Steve Austin, etc. Even John Cena to an extent as well. I will say this about Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. I think both are just truly exceptional wrestlers. But going back to NXT real quick before we head on with a little bit more comments on SummerSlam, do you think they are a victim of their own success in NXT because their matches have been truly brilliant and outstanding? I would say that it's difficult. They they put themselves on a pedestal like every takeover, and every takeover it's got to one-up the last one. Is it the best one ever? Is it the best one ever? I was lucky enough to see NXT TakeOver Philadelphia in January. I was lucky enough to go to the Rumble. And 10 times out of 10, I rewatched TakeOver. And 10 times out of 10, I when I think about that weekend down in downtown Philadelphia with my friends, my wife, my buddy from Boston came down to spend the weekend. I think about our time at TakeOver, giving people two suites in the hallways and yelling Bay Bay every 30 seconds. It was a great time. And NXT deserves more eyes on it. Because every, what, three months when there's a big pay-per-view, that's when they fill the big arena for TakeOver. They deserve more eyes on it. But I almost think that because it's like it's such a limited product, you get a big pay-per-view once a quarter, not once a month, shoved down your throat, extreme rules, backlash, da-da-da-da-da-da, money in the bank, all these things, you get TakeOver. And that's it. There's no other name for any of their pay-per-views besides TakeOver and then the city or war games. And... That's what we get with NXT. We get pure wrestling. We get good character work. We get great promos. We get great feuds. We don't get them shoved down our throat. We get them once a week on Wednesdays and then every quarter for a pay-per-view. I think that's perfect. I understand the WWE's business model of doing pay-per-views every month, but it rushes feuds and it also sets up the wrong feud. If you let feuds be able to gestate and if you let them you know, just breathe a little bit, you see what happens with TakeOver. There's never a dull pay-per-view, and there's barely ever a bad match. I don't remember the last stinker on a TakeOver. So I think NXT has positioned itself brilliantly for now and in the future, especially as we see the TV deal coming up and what's going to happen with WWE next year and in the future. It's looking bright for the NXT brand. It is indeed, and... I don't think you will see many bad matches over the course of a year in NXT because of the fact that they've all got something to prove and they all wanted to get to the big roster. But I think Gargano and Ciampa have had such success with their matches that I think WWE has been unwilling to pull the trigger on them coming up to the big roster because they're making such a name for themselves in NXT at this point in time. It's very hard for the WWE to say, hey, okay, we're going to bring you up and just be a mid-carter or be someone that's going to go ahead and make a 
small to minimal impact because of being buried in in our big rosters. So why don't we just keep you down there and have continue this great feud that you're having in NXT? The last thing that I'll kind of say about NXT and specifically with Gargano and Ciampa and just the brand in general is the WWE hadn't had a five-star match in seven years. In 2018 alone, they've had three. Two of them, including the first one, which was from TakeOver, have featured Johnny Gargano and were on NXT. So 66% of the WWE's five-star matches over the last seven years have been from the NXT brand, both of them with Gargano, which is where I agree with you that if Johnny Gargano gets called up and just gets buried in a mid-card somewhere like Finn Balor, I'm going to lose my stuff. So completely agree. I'd rather have him be at a high-profile feud in NXT than get buried at a mid-card because he is so good in that ring that I'd, I want to watch him at the peak of his game, not in a squash match or you know, once every two months on TV against Ty Dillinger. I want to ask you real quick your thoughts on two of the remaining matches, which I think do have an interest or should have an interest. First off is Braun Strowman versus Kevin Owens, which is mired down on the lower end of the card, even though these two individuals for vastly different reasons should be better thought of and put in a higher place on the card at at this point in time. I love that this is the match you're going for because this is my most anticipated match of the entire evening because these are two of my top five in the company main roster, not including NXT. These are two of my top five. You said it a minute ago where the WWE is always looking for the next rock, the next stone cold for marketability or in-ring talent. These guys are it from a character standpoint. Braun Strowman is the best thing that happened to this company in years. Kevin Owens is one of the best characters and one of the most believable heels. And you just love to hate him, but you respect him so much that they can't do any wrong. And now you add a stipulation to this match. Like if Braun Strowman gets counted out or disqualified or loses in any fashion that he's going to lose his money in the bank contract. We finally have a reason for these two to go at it. It's not just a cage match. It's not just a singles match. There's ramifications on the line. That's making me excited for this match because these two are going to go all out. You're going to see Kevin Owens try the dastardly stuff because Braun Strowman is twice his size. You're going to see Braun throw him around like a rag doll. I'm looking so forward to it because Kevin Owens' facial expressions and Braun's so over with the crowd. He's just going to put his two arms up and scream and everybody's going to go absolutely nuts with get these hands. I can't wait. These two are money and the WWE has their future in these two. I'd love to see them invest. You said it also. Vince McMahon has his prototypical champion, the Bobby Lashley's, the John Cena's, the Roman Reigns, the Brock Lesnar's. It's the big kind of jacked, burly guys with a little bit of personality and not much mic skill. That's like the new guy in WWE. I would love them to go back to the character-based stuff because Strowman and Kevin Owens just kick butt. The only other match that I think is worth shouting out and the only other match that I think is worth previewing should be a very solid match with two individuals that have gone head-to-head before many times when they're both independent wrestlers. And that is AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. And if Samoa Joe is healthy, I think he can really do great things with AJ Styles. I think they can map out a great match if they're allowed to within the WWE confines. And I think that if they're given anywhere near the time limit as well, that they will create a match similar to what they've done before 
your thoughts on this match as a final match we're going to look at in our preview of WWE SummerSlam. I would love to think back 10 years when these two were feuding over the X Division title in Impact or TNA, whatever you want to call it. And never in a million years would I dream that both of these guys would have been in the WWE ring, much less against each other. I am looking forward to this match. I would say selfishly, I'm probably looking forward to both women's matches more than this, but I do love both of these guys so much. Samoa Joe, to me, is going to go over here in a logical standpoint, but I just can't see AJ losing it. Like As much as I want to pick Joe, I'm going to go with AJ Styles on this one because of a couple reasons. Number one, Samoa Joe kind of stood tall on SmackDown the other night where he read a letter from AJ's wife and blah, blah, blah. And you know, whoever stands tall at the go home show is probably going to lose. Number two, AJ is on the cover of WWE 2K19. That game doesn't drop until October. He's the cover athlete. So how are you going to put the strap on this guy, announce him as the cover athlete, and then take the strap away before the game comes out when he's probably going to have the belt in the picture? So I don't know if they're going to do that. Heck, they could, and he could just win it back. I don't know. But what logically I can't see happening is AJ Styles beating him with a Styles Clash or a phenomenal forum. It's not enough to keep Joe down. So I wonder how AJ could possibly win this match, but I think somehow he's going to. Once again, it is Greg Hall from Weed Podcast and We Know Things. You got to check it out again on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and over 30 different outlets. Greg, it's been great talking pro wrestling with you today. Cannot wait to have you back on the show and continued success to you, your co-host, and your program as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Everybody, enjoy SummerSlam. We really appreciate it if you check us out. And thanks again for having me on the show. It was a pleasure and an honor. Appreciate it as always. And it's always great to have you a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. Josh, I know you got a great thing going on with Humanic Media. What's coming up, man, with Topic Topicocalypse and everything going on at Humanic Media? Yeah, we're, we're actually we're working on something. We'll be going over to video here soon also, so you'll be able to see that. But I just dropped a new episode about reality of superpowers. So like I was watching Jessica Jones, and there talks about prejudice towards powered people. So I was wondering what would happen if an actual powered person was discovered today. We dig into that. There's a lot of theories, a lot of great theories. My main theory is that they, they would probably disappear or the government would try to coerce them into working for them by threatening their family or something like that. But yeah, give it a listen. It's definitely one of my more favorite episodes that we've done. On the way out, my friend, we've got to talk about Disney and Fox properties. I know you had some issues last week when it came to the rumors that Disney is going to ditch all the Fox properties and just leave them in the gallows, so to speak, uh, on a lot of the major properties that we had talked about in the past, Die Hard, Alien, Predator, et cetera, et cetera, and just focus on some of the ones like The Simpsons that are maybe a little bit more family-friendly. 
I don't think they will. I think there's some money there that's too good to pass up. I don't think that they have to do it under the Disney banner. They have other film companies that they can do it under. So what are your thoughts, real thoughts on this possibility that Disney could shelve a lot of these properties like Alien and things of that nature that have generated a lot of money in the past and could generate more in the future given the right circumstances? It feels like a waste to me. You know, I didn't have any large amount of love for the last Alien film, but I love the franchise. They're movies that I grew up with. Same thing with Predator, same thing with Die Hard. And, you know, the, the biggest takeaway I got from that was that Bob Iger had said that they wanted to continue making movies, Kingsman and things like that. But what does that mean for Kingsman? Does that mean they're going to dumb it down to a PG-13 rating? In which case, it's going to lose a lot of its flair because what makes that movie so good is it's over-the-top violence. So, yeah, I would love to see more alien films made. And it just it seems like a bad financial move because it, it makes me wonder, did Disney only buy Fox just because they wanted these Marvel properties and properties like Avatar and things they could easily squeeze into a Disney realm because Fox is so much more than that. So I wonder if they even thought about these franchises they would be gaining, what would happen to them, even if they wanted to sell them off. I don't see any smaller companies picking them up because chances are Disney is going to want a fat paycheck for a lot of this stuff. And it also makes me wonder what's going to happen to the the DVDs, the Blu-rays. Like, are we still going to be able to buy things? What, what's going on with the game rights? Because Alien does have some gaming things. But, you know, with Predator coming out, it just makes me wonder what's the point of going to see it? Because if it ends on a cliffhanger, why am I going to go see it if Disney's just going to lock it in the vault or whatever? I just I it seems like a stupid decision financially to just because they have an image to uphold, throw it down to Lionsgate or something, because I know they own a lot of those uh, those smaller studios, but I don't know. It kind of irks me that they would do something like that. In the case of the Kingsman, that would be a really shallow maneuver. That would not be the brightest move in the book because I just did the numbers while you were talking, and from both those movies, both Kingsman, The Secret Surface, and also Kingsman, The Golden Circle, the production budgets on those combined have been around the $200 mark combined. And it's generated over $800 million worldwide. When we talked about Star Trek not generating that much of a profit, we're talking about something that is a $150, $200 million budget on those type of movies. So you can see the issue there. They only generate $350, $400 million there. But when it comes to something that has generated $600 million estimated over what the estimated budget is of these two pictures. The Kingsman series would be something I want to at least continue, at least and give it another shot before I'd, I'd call it a day on that. So I understand that they're going to allow whatever's in production to continue to flow out there under the Fox banner. But for the long term, it does put their status going forward in question. And that is really concerning for a lot of people who do have an affinity for the Kingsmen, for Die Hard, for Predator, and any of the other great franchises, which are now pretty much in question because of the acquisition by Disney. Any last thoughts on the way out, my friend? We got some interesting things going on behind the scenes, so definitely staying tuned for more news on that stuff. We're working on some big things, excited to reveal it, give it some time. And one thing we have revealed is that the Fantasy Football Pater podcast is coming home right over here each and every week to the Pop Culture Cosmos channel on all of our podcast networks. Tyler Baker is going to be doing the show and putting his show on our network. Not only is he going to be appearing on our shows during the football season, but he's also going to be having his show, the Fantasy Football Pater podcast, on our channel as well. So we're looking forward to that. 
And we've started a fantasy football league. It's going to be through ESPN. And if you want more information, it's absolutely free. We're going to do a draft later this month. Just send us an email right here at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great.